0: Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, again, we're talking about coronavirus. I'm thinking of saturating our entire lives with uh, an issue in every facet of our lives. But Tonight, we're, we're very pleased to have with us again a returning guest from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, Kevin Brennan. Kevin, thank you for joining us.
1: Sure, Nick. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, can you tell us again your position at the Board of Health?
1: Yes, I am the communications officer at the Board of Health, so a large part of what I do involves uh, media response strategy, uh, website, uh, of course, our press briefings, and obviously um, you know, interacting with uh, people in terms of education for COVID-19.
0: And, and what's a good thing is that uh, you really, I think, from my perspective, you know everything that's going on at the Board of Health because you need to know because you have to respond to all these questions like we're going to have for you tonight. Uh, The COVID-19, of course, that's been dominating the news, dominating our lives, Um, and especially for us here in Northeast Ohio, Cuyahoga County uh, is where we live and we want to know what's going on with COVID-19. How are we doing today? And I want to let everyone know we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, so this is not Sunday night, but Two days earlier, things might change between Wednesday and Sunday. But right now, how are things going?
1: Well, right now, our current numbers: we have six thousand four hundred and ninety-one cases as of last night, um, and we have unfortunately three hundred and thirty-two fatalities. So we want to be very mindful of all of those families and people who are affected, and our, our hearts certainly go out to those people. Um, so we uh, we case counts rising. Um, and we have quite a bit of data that we can talk about, Nick, tonight that will illustrate that to our listeners. Um, But we are certainly, what we feel at the Board of Health is, we are still in the first wave of COVID. Even though this is coming back again, we don't feel that it has left us at all, and this is largely an extension of, uh, you know, its presence and our behavior in, in dealing with it. So... Uh, unfortunately, as I say, our, our case counts and
0: our uh, fatalities uh, continue to rise. When we talk about first wave and the way this has been so persistent over these months, uh, when when we earlier heard about the first wave and a second wave, we're talking about uh, the flattening out and essentially the uh, possible partial eradication of it during the summertime, and then a fall wave coming back with the uh, flu virus. Um, Are we looking at just a continued problem now at this stage where we're not going to see that decrease and the first wave will just blend into the second wave?
1: We think so. Uh, And as you can imagine, those of us in public health, we have great concern for the time later this fall and winter when we will possibly see uh, flu and COVID and cold season all come together, so uh, you know we've got a we've got a lot of concerns going forward.
0: You know, as we're we're looking at what what's happening now with COVID, uh, all of us listening have been involved with this now since March, when we were locked down and uh, trying to control our behaviors. Are, are the basic rules still the same? And is there any hope that that's going to bring the numbers down if people all start? consciously and conscientiously, distancing, wearing masks and washing, that kind of thing. Is that still a useful thing to do?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I I think what we in public health are seeing, and this is certainly anecdotal, um, so, you know, we're just taking it for for what we see, um, but we in Cuyahoga County, we had a downward trend, a considerable downward trend in our weekly case counts as recently as the end of May. And now since that time, we have, our case counts have gone up probably about 90% since that time. And a large part of what we see is that uh, we feel a lot of people in the public have either decided not to wear masks or maybe have relaxed their uh, intent to do so with the coming of the warm weather and with more things opening up. And as people try to get back to Engaging in activities that they uh, participated in prior to the pandemic. Um, so I think what we would advise is those pillars that we see are certainly wearing a facial covering, social distancing, um, making sure that your your hands are clean as much as possible, and then making sure that the highly touched surfaces are cleaned and disinfected regularly.
0: So what what's happening? These, these are not new pillars. These are things that we've known from the beginning. When people are reported I, and sort of, I'll, if you can follow me through and correct me if I'm wrong, in the process, if I go to my doctor, I go for a, a COVID test and I come back positive, uh, I'm going to be identified then to the Board of Health as being a positive COVID-19 patient, I would assume. And from that, 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 starts, that starts a system of tracking and tracing. Uh, Is that
1: correct? That is correct. Once someone is lab-confirmed to be a case, then they go into uh, a statewide disease reporting system, and then our health department obviously tracks that system on a regular basis. And then once we've identified who that person is, then we get in touch with them and start that interview process
0: that you referred to. Now, when you start the interview process, what all does that include? Uh, For example, how much information do you get concerning how the patient thinks they contracted it?
1: Well, I don't know that that necessarily we're asking them to make a decision on where they possibly contracted it. What we're trying to get them to do is just retrace their steps, quite literally. Uh, We want to make sure that we understand all the places they've been, whether that's been the post office, the grocery store, church, work, uh, neighbor's house, family member's house, and we try to reconstruct that. And a large part of what determines whether someone has been what we would call exposed is uh, the amount of time that you spend with somebody. First of all, we're talking about you being with somebody who is a a lab confirmed or a probable case, uh, and whether they're asymptomatic or symptomatic. And also, we're talking about the amount of time that you spend with them. So it's within six feet, right? So we wanna make sure that we understand the social distancing. So if you're within six feet of someone, Uh, and you spent more than 10 to 15 minutes with them, um, particularly without a mask, then you stand a great chance for for being exposed, given that that person is either, uh, you know, has been, as I say, a lab-confirmed case.
0: You know, there's a whole lot of discussion going on and debate, I think, and now it's a good time to get a good medical opinion of it, a science opinion, about people who are asymptomatic and later become symptomatic. When someone uh, is infected, but not yet showing symptoms, and I would assume that the virus is still incubating or building in the body, uh, how accurate is it to say that there's a point in time before they show symptoms that they are casting off viruses and they are infectious and they don't even know it?
1: Well, I can't give you definitive figures on that because I'm not a physician or a nurse but what I can tell you is in terms of what are you hearing there yeah sure in terms of other viruses that we deal and often what we refer to in these instances are is norovirus <clears throat> which for our listeners is when you've got upper and lower GI distress um and it can continue for as short a period of time as 24 hours or as long as a week or more uh, but that virus tends to mutate and act differently in people and then um uh, With, with that virus, it's estimated that 30 to 40% of people can be asymptomatic. And we're seeing, pardon me, we're seeing the same thing with COVID-19. The estimate is that three to four out of every 10 people who have it could be asymptomatic. And because you're asymptomatic, it certainly, as you mentioned, it doesn't preclude you from becoming symptomatic at one point. So the total, the span of the incubation period generally for COVID-19 is two to 14 days. So we've seen people become tested Uh, with no symptoms and become ill the next day. We've seen people become tested and never develop symptoms. And then, obviously, we see people over the span of that two-week period develop symptoms. So it's very uh, unique, I I guess I would say, in in how it reacts within each
0: individual. Well, I guess there's a a bit of uh, controversy as far as whether or not people who do not show any symptoms are in fact casting off viruses that can infect others. And and I guess there's two subcategories to being asymptomatic. Uh, one would be asymptomatic, someone who has the virus, shows no symptoms, and they never get the virus, they never get the disease portion. On the other hand, I would call the asymptomatic people as being uh, pre-symptomatic. You know, they're ultimately going to get symptoms, but they're not there yet the body is still building up the viral load that's going to overwhelm the natural defensive system of the body. And for those people, do do we have an idea of how many days before they show symptoms that they're probably casting off viruses?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I can refer back one more time to noroviruses that we know even if someone is asymptomatic, they are what we call shedding. And that means then that's why we recommend if you know that you have norovirus or you're living in a household with somebody who has it, um, right, that you're not the one that prepares food, right? You're trying not to, to interact with people who may be susceptible. And we have that same advice for COVID. So I, I think from a public health standpoint, until we get definitive guidance on that, Nick, I think we're mm-hmm. going to be precautionary and say, you know, if, if, you know, you think if you've been tested and you're asymptomatic, you need to treat yourself as if you did have symptoms, because potentially, you know, you could be shedding for several days, and so the more places right. you go, right. the more you, you place people in danger. So, I think just as we understand, you
0: know, oh, good. Well, we're, we're talking, we're talking to Kevin Brennan from right. the Cagga County Board of Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the Advocate. Welcome back, Cleveland, Nick Phillips, with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And Kevin, thank you again, as always, for joining us. Sure, Nick. Again, thank you for having me. You know, we always need need to know what's going on with COVID-19 because you guys are at the epicenter of the epicenter here in Cuyahoga County. Uh, As we were talking during the last uh, segment, we were talking about the idea of the virus uh, passing from asymptomatic people on to people who don't have it and how infecting that is. Uh, do we have any numbers on, on that or are we basically basing it on other experiences?
1: That's what, we, that what I would say at this point. I have not seen any, any definitive research on this thus far, but I think in terms of how other viruses and illness have reacted, we know that shedding is a reality. Uh, I think what you would want to study is, the, as you alluded to earlier, is the amount of time or the number of days that a person could be actively shedding, you know, and that could vary per virus. Um, but at any rate, we have a solid history in public health of knowing that is a, is a real factor. So we really would encourage people, you know, particularly if you test asymptomatic, you know, you're asked to isolate at home uh, in some instances, and we really mm-hmm. tell you to the advice, you know, and not put other people or yourself in danger.
0: Now, I I know that we understand that and that word has been out for some time, but there's a a, a portion, a segment of of the community that they're just not living up to those requirements. And I've been seeing some cases where people have actually been going to, especially younger people, uh, going to COVID parties where they go there with the specific intent of becoming uh, infected and some of them being reported on the news as regretting that decision. Uh, are we hearing when you're doing your contact tracing that people are are doing this kind of behavior?
1: Absolutely. Um, that demographic, uh, particularly the 20 to 29-year-olds, have become increasingly problematic for us over the last several weeks in terms of comprising a larger portion of our case demographic profile. Uh, so what that means is we group people um in areas of 10 years at a time. And they are now the 20 to 29 year old, the leading, uh, the leader among our, our counts at 21%. So that age group now comprises 21% of all the cases that we have in our Cuyahoga County board of health jurisdiction. And when we do contact tracing and we're doing interviewing, uh, we are seeing that people have been at these kind of activities that you're describing. We're also seeing a problem where, this age group is not uh, very forthcoming when it comes to contact tracing. You know, um, we appeal to people to work with our contact tracers and our interviewers so that we can gather as much data as possible to protect the person that we're interviewing, obviously, but also anyone else that they may have potentially come in contact with. And so we really would encourage people of that age group or people who know people in that age group who may be positive to try to be forthcoming and let us know because, um, we've seen some, as I say, some reluctance among that group to, uh, to participate fully in contact tracing. And that just becomes more problematic. Uh, I think, I think it, what's interesting, Nick, is at the beginning when there was the, the presumption that, you know, the younger people might not be as affected as, as largely as the older group was, and that was just based on the surveillance we had at the time. That's, it, that seems to be something that all those people heard. But now as we've moved the needle a little bit and they're becoming a group that's affected, we have not yet penetrated them with this message um, based on their actions here, at least in Cuyahoga County.
0: From the standpoint of what you understand from all that you hear, because you're uh, involved in this, obviously uh, immersed in it on a daily basis, you're hearing all of these different inputs. Uh, what what um, basically contributes to the younger people not uh, being forthcoming? Uh, is it anti-government sentiments, anti-science? Uh, refusal to accept uh, the, the real risks, or uh, and they, they generally talk about a disbelief in, in the reality of this. Uh, how, how much of that do you think is applying here? Well,
1: uh, you know, I think if we look at it, what have we seen so far? We've seen a lot of older people, unfortunately, pass away, and we've seen a lot of people in congregate living situations passed away. Um, so the younger people have not been as affected, I would say, as a group, just anecdotally, um, in terms of fatalities, but they're now being looked at largely as possibly being vectors or mules, right, taking it to other people, mm-hmm. being asymptomatic and taking it to other people. So the danger is is very real, you know, we, we feel there. Um, in terms of why they don't, you know, participate or, or react, uh, what we would hope would be accordingly, uh, I really don't know. I don't know what's influencing their individual decisions. Uh, the one thing I could speculate about would be maybe that because they're not, you know, they don't see their friends becoming ill. They don't, by and large, they don't see their friends dying. Um, you know, if they're not having anyone in their family who's been affected, then they maybe don't believe that it's it's close enough
0: to them. So, I, again, I'm only speculating, but that's that's what I would think possibly. Uh, part of the invisibility of the whole thing going on and it, it doesn't become real until it hits home. Uh, so, that's Something we all have to watch. I know everyone who is playing by the rules and uh, they're fulfilling the requirements of the pillars of protection being the, the masking and the distancing yeah. and those kinds of things. If someone is making the effort to do that and they restrict... Um, travels and they stay home most of the time, they avoid large crowds, they wash their hands, they do all these things. How would you describe uh, how they're mitigating their risks to get COVID, even as the numbers are going up around them? Well, I would,
1: you know, I I think the benefits to that are great, right? I mean, I think where we're at when we look at what the state has issued in terms of public health risk advisories. Uh, And I think as we sit here today, Governor DeWine is going to give a speech tonight uh, at 5.30 p.m. to address the situation with COVID-19 statewide. And I would be pretty certain he's going to refer to these risk factors uh, and, and the risk levels. And as we move through these four various levels, the one I think that's concerning to us is as we go from level two to three, Level two indicates just an increased amount of exposure and community spread and, and advising people to exercise caution and follow all the current health orders. As you move into level three, it, it makes it a level of very high exposure and spread and people are asked to limit their activities as much as possible. So I think until we're really, you know, it's been determined that we are past this, you know, I don't want to say for good, but enough to, to get back to somewhat of a normal, schedule for everyone. Uh, we all have to be as careful as we can. Uh, and I think that these measures, we call them non-pharmaceutical interventions uh, because we don't have a vaccine. So in place of a vaccine or antivirals, anything you can do is is better than than doing nothing. And the more things you do, the better protected you are. Is there a level four? There is a level four. And, and the, I'm, I'm reading it right now where the guidance there is Uh, that there is severe severe exposure and spread within a county, and the advice there is only leave home for supplies and services. So that goes back to somewhat of, uh, you know, the stay-at-home order, if you remember. That was in effect for quite a while, and Mm -hmm. the advice there was for people only to go to work and go to the grocery store and the post office and the bank and whatever they had to do. Right, Um, right, right. but as you see now, there are many, many other businesses open and many other activities, and some of those activities, as we mentioned before, young people, right? I mean, we're, we've seen yeah, this right. in other states where, where you know concerts have been held, a thousand or more people have been brought together. I mean, that you know, in terms of a pandemic, that's just really irresponsible, and we no, hope that not we not don't the have the time to that.
0: do it. Uh, are exactly. we at level two, three, or four at this point in Cuyahoga County? Well, we were at level four uh,
1: last week as determined by the state, so I would be pretty certain that the governor will let us know tonight where we are. Uh, but, but given all the data that we have, we would, we would say as we sit here right now, we are either going to be at level three or level
0: four. We will not be going down to a level two. Well, we need everyone's cooperation uh, from a science standpoint. To make sure that we're doing it and still, we still can usefully block the virus and reduce those rates, right? Absolutely. I mean, we did it as, as Ohioans before. We did it as people of
1: Cuyahoga County. I mean, as I mentioned before, the end of May, we had a peak of 484 cases, and for three consecutive weeks, we went down and we were at a low point of 237. To give you an idea, three weeks later, we were at 747, and there's a good chance this week that we may eclipse the 800 level. So we are certainly going the wrong direction, but it does show that with a concerted effort, we can bring it down as we did just as
0: recently as a month and a half ago. Well, on that note, we're going to wish us all a lot of luck and a lot of cooperation and support so that uh, this is something that science uh, can help us uh, push back those numbers. And uh, we'll have you back on again to talk about things we hadn't had a chance to talk about. I want to talk about the hotline next time, but... Uh, anyway, Brian Brennan, thank you so much for joining us tonight and uh, giving us an update here in Cuyahoga County on COVID-19. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate your time. Appreciate your efforts and uh, tell everyone down at the Board of Health, we uh, are, are glad they're out there doing what they're doing. So very good. Well, thank We're you. going to take a short break. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say just thank you very much on, on behalf of myself and my colleagues. We, we appreciate all the support. You got it. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Can't get no I
1: can get no
0: Welcome back to evening, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And uh, we're still talking about COVID-19, and uh, the months are rolling by. And we have with us again from Columbus, we have State Representative Dave Greenstein. Dave, thank you again so much for joining us. Oh, Nick, thanks as always. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Uh, I was telling my wife the other day that next year we're going to be able to look back at this year and say uh, it was quite an unusual time. We had plenty of time to rest, I think. But uh, no rest with the legislature. Tell us, though, what's the latest going on in Columbus since we talked last month? Well,
2: well no it's,
0: it's been, yeah, it, well, it, it's a number of different issues.
2: Obviously, COVID is one issue that we're addressing. We're also addressing the um, the issues with the economy. And, and obviously now in the last month, you know, with, with the social unrest issues that we've been addressing those as well. So it's it's been it's been quite the challenge. We have we're not in session right now. Um, we have not the House has not been in session since June 15th. But as I've always said to you, you know, when we talk about what it means to be in session, and or on a, a quote unquote recess, there, there's even in, even in a if we can say a more normal year than this one, recess doesn't mean we stop working. And uh, and this is clearly one of those exceptions where, although we may not be in session, it doesn't mean that work isn't being done on on specifically on those three fronts, but also at the same time, a number of us have have legislative uh, bills that we've been working, and uh, the House is currently scheduled to go back in September for a few weeks and then come back after the the election in November for lame duck. And what we want to do, those of us who have legislation, is ensure that uh, we're working working that legislation so, so that when we come back during this abbreviated but very heated up session, that we're able to to get those priorities done. But what obviously compounds the issue as it should are the three components I talked about. You know, we're dealing with the COVID too, we're dealing with the economy, and we're also dealing with the social unrest. So it's 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 been a very very uh, busy time. I am probably on the phone 10 to 12 hours a day, uh, either with constituents or with my colleagues or with various stakeholders on any one of those three major subject areas. So it's it's been very busy.
0: When we we talk about being on the phone with constituents, uh, and you get a lot of those calls, what seems to be the theme, and are there repeated questions that we might help answer now? Well, obviously, we were dealing with the unemployment
2: uh, issue. That we've talked about for a while, and how the system itself was overwhelmed, yeah. you know not only was it Ohio system that was overwhelmed, it was it was all of the states were in the same situation. no I'm not saying they were all in a situation where we had you know sixteen year old software running a, running a system, but the, the the volume of cases that we saw here in Ohio, usually we get between three and four hundred thousand cases a year. Uh, claims for unemployment. We had about $1.2 million in about five weeks, which was completely overwhelmed the system and the resources. And so the director of ODJFS was working very diligently to to respond as quickly as they can. What, what I can say for residents of the 16th district, those who reach out to our office, uh, I, have, I have two staff members and one I dedicated solely towards the unemployment issue, and and she has done a phenomenal job. Uh, so much so that we are able to manage our cases uh, so efficiently, and, and we still have some outstanding. I'm not saying we don't, but so efficiently that she's actually was assigned for about four weeks to other offices to help their members, you know, those House members navigate through the challenges dealing with unemployment. So some of the calls that, that we're getting, although less and less, deal with unemployment. Obviously, the governor, uh, Cuyahoga County, is one of a number of counties that was, when the, when the uh, advisory system was established, was immediately in the red category, the, the category three, which uh, there are four categories, category four being purple and being the most severe. And with that comes a mandatory mask uh, order. So a lot of constituents, as it specifically relates to the mask, um, are, are are in favor of wearing masks, some are opposed to it. Uh, we run into different situations with data. Is the data accurate? Is it not accurate? Those seem to be kind of the primary concerns uh, on the surface, but obviously now as we're getting ready to, to um, discuss the opening of the schools here next month in August or September, depending on the district, those discussions are becoming more frequent Um, I, I, I'm in constant contact with our superintendents, uh, as am I in frequent contact with the mayors. So I'm trying to be that, that strong liaison between the legislature and my district. And, uh, I understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I am trying to be that liaison and conduit, as I said, between, between Columbus and, and our district. So you know, within Columbus, there are mandates, There are guide, there is guidance that comes out from various entities, and I am attempting to field and facilitate, field questions and facilitate any challenges or questions that come up about those, whether they be orders or, or directives or just general guidance.
0: <laughs> well, let's make progress on the economy and, and on everything else we have going on here in Ohio.
1: Uh, it depends
0: on the future of the state with COVID. And I hear a lot about the people who support the mask and the people who are against the mask. Uh, I, I for one, believe in science and the recommendations that yeah, if everyone's wearing masks, it's not going to be transmitted. Is there any merit to the people who are saying you don't have to wear masks? Have you heard anything that makes sense well, to you that's, that's- meritorious? You know, every,
2: everyone obviously has their opinion on this and, and, um, you know, masks, you know, I, my wife and I made the decision, uh, you know, back in March that when possible, when we're, we're in public, uh, we would wear a mask and, and to which we do, um, and if you've, if you've seen me in, in the legislature, uh, you know, on TV or in photos, you know, I, I am one that wears a mask and that, that's my personal decision. Uh, I understand other people. Have differing opinions. For those who believe in wearing the mask, uh, I don't believe any of them believe that it is 100% foolproof uh, that that you might not be able to contract the virus even by wearing a mask. Uh, those who oppose the mask have taken the position that the virus is smaller than, than the pores, the opening uh, on the masks, and they're ineffective. Um, the truth is somewhere in between. Uh, in my opinion, I, I wear it not only to protect my family, to whatever extent that protection may be. Realizing that it, 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 if I can blow through the mask, if I can, if, you know, I've seen people drink through their masks. Then obviously the mask itself um, is able to be penetrated, um, you know, with, with the virus. If you're able to get air and water through it, but I do, I do believe, once again, personal opinion, that it does minimize my opportunity to contract the virus. I don't believe it eliminates it, but it provides a barrier. Um, And and even when I talk to folks who don't believe in wearing the masks, they all acknowledge that as well. Um, But, you know, in my opinion, it's a personal belief and decision if you wish to wear one. Uh, That's up to you. I, I believe the science is out there that wearing a mask can minimize your ability to contract the virus and also can minimize the ability for you if you have it to spread the virus. But that,
0: hear that, again, that's again. the bigger yeah. reason for wearing a mask is to keep you from spreading it
2: if you have it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and everyone's situation is different. You know, we, we have, my, my mother-in-law is with us now and, you know, we want to protect her. Uh, I have a, 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 a school-age son. We want to, you know, protect him. And as do they want to do the same with us. So once again, it's our decision. It's our choice. This is what we've elected to do. I respect those who make a decision the other way. Um, but when the governor issues an order, and you know, we, I've heard the arguments regarding the validity of these orders, and does the governor have the authority to do so? Uh, there was a case in Columbus federal court. It was uh, Hartman versus Acton, where it challenged the governor's and, and, the, and the state's authority and ability to issue orders. And the court ruled that the, that the governor and the state, as the constitution laws are written, do have the legal authority to issue orders, um, and orders as we're under now. Uh, you know, are, are there other lawsuits pending? Yes, there are. And but to my knowledge, that's the one one lawsuit. Once again, Hartman versus Acton. If anyone wants to look it up, that that supported the governor's authority. Now, like I said, there may be other courts and jurisdictions that have a differing opinion, but that's the only one I'm aware of right now that that has been challenged. In, in,
0: sure well it certainly sounds under the police powers of the state they have the right to protect the safety of the population but uh, I, I think at least from my part you, you shared with us here. Is my thought is if we are uh, out near people in a closed confined area and I might have it and we don't know whether we might have it if uh, you had ten people and one of those people had it without knowing it if all ten were masked from what I'm told by the scientists it's probably not going to spread We're going to take a short break. We're talking to state legislator Dave Greenspan, and we're updating what's going on in Columbus and what's affecting us all here in Ohio. So don't go away. We're taking a short break. We'll be back after these words. Back, Cleveland, with you with our final segment of the advocate event. We're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan about what's going on in Columbus uh, here in July with the COVID pandemic in full swing, and uh, the fact that the government is still functioning. Dave, uh, thank you for uh, for calling in tonight, and also thank you for your service in Columbus, keeping well, our government going.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Uh, with the COVID and lockdowns and the uh, strange schedules with people working from home and so on, how is it affecting the income tax and the other income sources that bring money into the state government? How's that going now?
2: Yeah, you know, our, obviously, as, as you can imagine, our state revenues are down across the board. Um, you know, when, 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 you know, the shutdown order was issued back in March and people started working from home and businesses were, were at that point um restricted to you know essential quote unquote essential businesses that obviously had an impact on the economy and we talked a little bit about the unemployment uh system and how that was over you know inundated and overrun with with cases it just that was never handled to to be able to manage. Uh since then we've seen our unemployment rate drop pretty precipitously. Um you know I, I believe the governor used this week in his press conference the number that we were at 17.6% we're now in the 11% range uh and heading heading down as businesses are calling people back and as people are, are coming off unemployment we're starting to see i believe it was 7 7 weeks maybe longer in a row with declining uh, unemployment initial unemployment claims which is an encouraging sign and we're seeing the same thing ha- happen at the federal level but you know as far as the the state budget is concerned the you know, prim- our primary revenue sources come in from income tax and sales tax, and uh, both, both have been down, and we're looking at uh, over the, the second year of this biennium, the second year budget, which we just entered July 1st, you know, the initial projections are we'll have about a two and a half to $3 billion deficit, and so we're going to be looking to see what we can do. The governor is going to present us with his recommendations uh you know, here uh, soon and we'll be able to address those issues uh, as to how we can just buy our, but we have to have a have to have to a balanced budget and so we're going to work towards that effort uh, and, you know, and, and get us, get the state budget obviously balanced, but at the same time continue to make strides to have Ohioans go back to work.
0: Is there any mechanism to help the state out with the state uh, borrowing money in case we run out of money and it's unsafe to uh, cut our budget uh, below certain limits. You know, that's a great question. I'd have to I'd
2: have to research that. You mean if, if we just if our revenue just toes, falls totally off a cliff? Are we and we have to provide essential services? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that specifically for unemployment, uh, we owe the federal government about three billion dollars right now in unemployment because we of the amount of unemployment that we've paid out. Uh, we knew that the state unemployment fund was deficient, uh, prior to COVID, but nobody could have envisioned the amount of demand, uh, on the system itself. This is, this is unprecedented as we've heard many times. So, um, we, we will continue to monitor revenue. We get reports frequently. The governor gets reports frequently on both inflows and outflows of cash. Uh, the state is a cash basis entity. Uh, It's not an accrual basis system, so what we what we get in is is what we're able to spend, and we will monitor that system closely.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier that one of the uh, ideas and one of the themes I keep coming in is, beside COVID and the economy, are are basically social unrest issues. What kind of social unrest issues actually make it to your desk in the in the state government?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, you know, with what happened in Minneapolis and what has, what has united the, 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 the discussion across the country as it relates to, to, to social issues, uh, racial issues, and, and obviously we are dealing with that at the state level. Um, one of the areas that I am actively involved in is the House has formed a professional police practices task force, and that's chaired by, by representatives uh, Plummer and Abrams. Representative Plummer is the retired um, Montgomery County Sheriff. Uh, he actually retired in order to take the position as state representative. And Representative Abrams is a former, uh, she's a former Cincinnati police officer. So what we're doing insofar as law enforcement, which is one of the major issues we keep hearing throughout the country, is is having stakeholder meetings across the state. I had the chair a meeting last week uh, with stakeholders from Northeast Ohio. We had a meeting uh, this week with Northwest Ohio Toledo area folks. We've met with Central and Southwest Ohio uh, stakeholders as to what we can do to, uh, to, to reform our law enforcement practices uh, here in Ohio. I can tell you none of them revolve around the discussion of defunding anything. As a matter of fact, if anything, we are trying to provide uh, additional resources to law enforcement, whether it be training, whether it be enhanced background checks and screening, whether it be professional licensure a whole host of other issues in order to ensure that our law enforcement community are are the most professional community in the country. And that will require us to provide uh, them with the tools and resources to be successful. Uh, And so that is something that that I've been working on this summer as well.
0: So So do we we have a question? I have a question on that point. Uh, Do we have some phase where we're assessing and evaluating what are the problems that we're having that need correction? Well, so, so it, there's a House bill, House Bill 703,
2: which has been introduced. It's, it's what we refer, we refer to as a placeholder bill. This one has a number of items in it that we're going to be amending. And they they revolve around various issues in law enforcement. One of, one of the main issues that we're focusing on is licensure of police officers. And, and, you know, in Ohio, you have to have a license in order to to engage in many business activities, whether it be a, a doctor, a lawyer, a CPA, a hairdresser, a barber, but there's no licensure, licensure required for law enforcement. So we're looking to create a law enforcement license that in order for a law enforcement officer to be engaged in that endeavor, hmm. they have to maintain their license. And what we find is, is that we have officers who, um, the, now we're talking about the, the very small percentage of, 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 I would classify them as possibly bad officers or officers whose judgment may be may be challenged at times. Uh, who will leave one force for another? They'll they'll retire in lieu of termination. And um, right now, they freely do that. There are no background checks that are that are required. Uh, there's very little communication between departments. And what we're looking to do is create a database whereby uh, hiring uh, hiring individuals, whether they be the chiefs or whomever of one department can go into a database and get a background understanding of the individual from, uh, that's been managed in this database. We're also looking at doing and requiring during the background check process, uh, psychological evaluations prior to individuals beginning their, their academy training. We're also looking at, at, at background evaluations into individual's character social media um you know various aspects to ensure that folks who are entering law enforcement profession don't have any bias coming in towards any ethnicity any type of uh bias of any kind uh we're looking at enhancing en- and enhancing uh, uh training uh, all aspects of training as it in deal as we deal with with multicultural communities uh so those are some of the areas on the training on the background checks certification. If you lose your certification, you cannot be a law enforcement officer in the state of Ohio. We want, well, they, we want to totally have, elevate the profession.
0: They have, I have a question. There's the Ohio Peace Officer Training Commission. Do they issue uh, certifications? If, if an officer loses that, can they actually work somewhere else then? Still?
2: They Yes. In Ohio currently right now, there is no prohibition and there's no I requirement see. that you maintain active certification. That's one of the One of the components that we hope to address with this
0: bill? It's funny that sometimes there are things that you're doing now that should have been done years ago, but uh, it's good to at least be getting to them at this time. Correct. Correct. What what is your forecast for the next 30 days? How are we looking here? I I noticed that we're at the beginning, hopefully a short surge that hopefully will come under control again. But uh, between now and August, what do you foresee happening or what are the issues you're looking at? Well, you know, let, let's let's speak of the coronavirus
2: and where we are with that, and and the governor. And well, I shouldn't say the governor. This week, Cuyahoga County dropped out of the watch category from going from stage three or level three to level four, which is the highest level of, of concern. Uh, we 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 are trending down right now in Cuyahoga that's, County. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. It is. It is. So we we oh. we are no longer. In I that, we're, in we're that. out
0: of. We're out of time, and I'm going to have to defer all of our other questions until August when we we'll get you back. But um, Representative David Greenspan, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, as always, and be safe.
0: And be safe and healthy too. and to everyone. I'd like to thank everyone for listening tonight. We'll be back right here at WHK next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched... Zanzibar Sunset Sat and drank my Fresh mint tea With nothing to do Until morning and only my mind